0: Um, maybe lastly, and it's, it's actually a local announcement, if you don't know, uh, but at Divergent, we've been able to actually buy a building here in the middle of the city two blocks that way, that will very soon become the home for this community, but not just this community. In one sense, and I would say in a greater sense, more importantly, a center and a hub for Divergent in this community and in this city, and as it extends further out in, into the world itself. It's an asset in one sense that holds us in the city, and let's be practical, it's getting harder and harder to remain in city areas, particularly in the heart. Uh, But it's a real privilege uh, for us as a community to have the support of the wider divergent community to make that happen. What I would say and I wanna, what I want to encourage each one of us is uh, I want to see us, and we've been talking to the other divergent communities, Port Macquarie is getting involved and the guys down in Victoria and in Brisbane and in Izmir, is we want to raise an additional, it's a fair bit in one sense, but not a lot compared, to, is we want to raise an additional 50 grand to actually do the renovations. and Izmir and. By the way, the average wage in Izmir actually compared to Canberra is like a tenth of Canberra, but is already committing at least a thousand Australian dollars to that as a seed thing to go, hey, we're here for you as well, uh, like we are. Like this is not. Do you know the reason missions exists? It's not because there's unreached. It's because there's no reaches. Now, what I mean by that is the reason we sometimes have to cross cultural and national and borders is because there's no one to reach the neighbour over there. We know that there's unreached in your neighbourhood. We know there's unreached in your workplace. But unlike Australia, many other countries have no one in their workplace to speak the gospel. So, I want you to hear our heart in saying this, we have got your back as well. Ange and I, uh, uh, gifting that as well, and we're, we're asking our community to give toward that, even out of what very little they have. And can I encourage you, we're going to push this a little bit in the next month or two, we want to make actually this venue not just a positive in the sense of a community-oriented environment, but we actually want to make it revenue positive, meaning that it's a venue that actually covers its own costs in the very least. Because I, if you don't know me, I'm not a big fan of buildings or assets that are just there for a Sunday. What a waste of money, in my opinion. Feel free to have a different opinion. We can have a talk. <laughs> I, I will. But if we can have something that is a blessing to our community, a blessing to other believing communities as well, and a blessing to the nations, God can use this in incredible ways. And so, can I encourage you, there'll be a video... Uh, a bit of a tour, uh, most likely through this week done and shown this week. And before you know it, the whole community here in City will be able to go and tour that and uh, dream together even a little bit more. And it's quite amazing, honestly. Like, it's, for me, it's not just the venue. There's a, a real workable venue, but it has like a tennis court up top and barbecues and an indoor pool. Like, seriously, sauna? I'm like, you will want to come to church. no. <laughs> I mean, for the worship and the anointed preaching. Um, but, <clears throat> but the other stuff's spiritual too, of course. Uh, can I encourage you, by the way, having a coffee with somebody can be sometimes the most spiritual thing you do in your week. I, do, I don't mean that because you want the affirmation, but because when you establish real community and you establish trust, you can speak life and you can spur one another onto the good and I should actually get to what I'm going to preach about. But how good is it? I'm really excited for this. We've always been committed to the city, and I mean the inner city, and uh, we are not going anywhere. Many years ago, I walked down the stairs of my family's home. We'd moved only two weeks before, and a young girl walked in the door, and I was like, you might have heard this before. Mm-mm, they make them good down here. I married her, by the way, just in case it gets too weird too quickly. But it shows you, like, literally I had moved from a town where everyone went onto stations. I lived in Fitzroy Crossing. And but that boy looked across the room, and I don't know whether she looked back, but we've had this moment in many circumstances. The girl looks back and looks at the guy looking at her and is like, If he's a five, he's creepy. If he's a six, let's talk about it. I'm joking. On some of you, know it's true. They get to know each other. They start to talk, and have you noticed people start to dream? They naturally start to dream about what life might look like together where they might go, what they might do, what they might build, who they might have in terms of children, even maybe what their children might look like. My father would always tell me, if you want to see what your future looks like, look at their mother, given I'm a man. And it really actually made me quite scared, because I think my father aged quite quickly, and her mother did not. So I was like, oh dear God, I'm going to be like 40 and look 60, and she's still going to look 30 sort of works for me, though. Possibly at some point he gets, as would tradition often have it, on one knee and asks for her hand. Soon enough, she's walking down the aisle. They commit, they kiss, we know the story, and they start to build a home. A glance across the room soon becomes something far more. Many years ago, it might sound funny, I felt like the Islamic world, in one sense, was glancing across the room as a young man, and it it caught my heart. But weirdly enough, as I took the journey, (sighs) Canberra glanced across the room, and I was initially not that keen. thought that Canberra was a tad creepy. Don't look at me like that. But Canberra grabbed our heart. It grabbed my heart It grabbed Angers to the point of even saying we were in Turkey and often an opportunity when I was 23 to move to Turkey and I had to look some people in the eye and go, we're going to Canberra. I would have gone to Cairo or Kabul or Casablanca over Canberra, but Canberra grabbed our heart. And soon enough, a moment, a fleeting moment became dreams which became a commitment, which became the desire to build a home, a home that we initially called Life City a dream that was never about music and lights and a screen and preachers. It was more about building a place where people would know and discover Christ, a place which would be comfortable enough that you would find healing and uncomfortable enough that you would know that you should be sent beyond it. See, the church has got this tension because if it's only a hospital, you're going to get sick again. Sometimes we have that. We, get, we come in to get healed, and then we hang around and we catch something else. But the point of the church is that we get, find comfort in Christ, and then He makes us uncomfortable enough to send us beyond where we are. From day one, we've always been about creating home. See, home is about who we are, less than where we are, it's about who we are as defined by our Father in heaven. In 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 9, and you can, if you want to anchor in the text, you can stay there predominantly. It says, For we are God's fellow workers or co laborers. It says, you are God's field, God's building, and I I want us to grab this because this is important in moving through this, and it will change your mindset if you allow it to sink from here to here and outwork here, is that we are God's. God owns us we are His. He is Lord, we are not. And I am convinced, by the way, that all too many Christians, including myself, often live on the side of Jesus as our Savior, but never have a revelation and understanding is Jesus as my Lord. And I've said this before, that Jesus will take you out of the pit as the Savior, but as the Lord, He might command you to get back in another one. I constantly hear it. And if you ever visit us in Izmir, you will find the vast majority of it actually quite beautiful. People are like, why would you move here? And there's a lot of natural good reasons, by the way. But we didn't leave Canberra because we hated it. Canberra, maybe you don't know, is the sunniest city in Australia. It's not the warmest, but it is the sunniest. You can check. In fact, check me if you really want. But we are God's. All too often, I don't know if you've ever read the text of Scripture, and you hear Jesus say something, and you're like, yeah, I don't think so. And Western culture right now will tell you that your opinion is entirely valid, and Jesus is like, yeah, no, I don't think so. Like, I want to hear you where you're at but in actual fact, I want you to move you from where you're at, because where you are is in the darkness, and where I want you is in the light. Where you are is in is in death, and I want to bring you into life. Where you are is in hopeless acceptance, in a sense, of self, and He wants you to bring you into hopeful denial of self, which might sound like a funny thing, but there's something really freeing when you stop being so self-centered and Depart from that place and put your eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith. See, we are gods. Now I don't mean that little g in some weirdo's way. I mean he owns us. We are God's field. We are God's house. Everything of me in my flesh, and hear this, sends me to hell. There's nothing about me that me that sends me to heaven. So anything about me actually sends me to a relationship that's distant from God. People are like, does this send you to hell? I'm like, yes. Does this send you help? Yes, everything about you does not send you to heaven. Everything—I know—pretty shocking, isn't it? For the moment, but here's the beautiful thing: if I'm born again, not I become good again, then when He births me into Himself, in that sense, I come into His family, into His home, into His life. Then I find a security that is not affected by my own failure. Sometimes I fail, and it hurts me in the heart, but I'm still a son. I I have four amazing children, and sometimes I fail them as a natural father. Sometimes my children fail me. But at no point does it change the status of my love for them. We we are God's field. This is the home that He owns. This is not about God blessing us, but about us stepping into what God is blessing. This is not about creating a monument for our comfort, but a home that positions us for the ultimate fight. I actually think we need to be careful, by the way, as we think about missional living, like that we should be in our workplaces and we should be in our universities, we should be in our world declaring and demonstrating the goodness of God, that we sometimes forget that we should be bringing people home to a place where they can grow and flourish, and they come in the room and no one stands alone. They come in the room, and this is not a social club, but this is a sacrificial army that's willing to lay down their lives for one another. Because can I tell you, social clubs make friends, sacrifice makes family. And do you know how you know? Because every mother knows this. This child did not just happen by ease. But I've seen the look on a mother's face after the pain and the travail of labor, and then seen the overwhelming depth of love in that moment as they go, whoa. See, we need to start to realize that that the road of discipleship is not about self-acceptance. I was walking down uh, the street just the other day and uh, actually Aisha on the front row here pointed it out that one of the, the community groups, and I come from a background, by the way, working in social, uh, social services and social welfare. That's my uh, original sort of background. But one of the community uh, groups, their slogan was this, this is all about you. This is all about you always. all about you always, apparently. Now, I want you to catch this because there's a superficial affirmation. See, God does love you. See, God loves you so much that He made Himself nothing, Philippians 2 says, but this is not about you Ever. I've always said, if you read the Purpose Driven Life book, and if you read the first page, it says on the first page, this is not about you. If you can rip that page out, don't bother with the rest of the book. You don't really need it. If you get that if this is not about me, my life will be revolutionized. There's a freedom in not being self-centered and having my world revolve around me. There's a freedom to be found when I launch into Christ. And this is why I love the phrasing. If you ever want to dig into some really... It's cultural anthropology in one sense, but uh, it's used in Scripture all the time about corporate election and corporate identity, coming into Christ. I've said this before, nine times in 14 verses in Ephesians 1, it talks about coming into Christ. I become enveloped in who He is. And so, generally speaking, it's more appropriate to say, when I come in a place of salvation, I'm coming into Christ, not that Christ is coming into my heart. No. That imagery, by the way, is used in Scripture, but more often than not, we become enveloped in who He is, and that means everything of my past is gone, and everything of who He is has come. This is not about me. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. Is this about building God's dream or mine? In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for He grants sleep to those He loves. Some people are like, oh, He doesn't love me by the sounds. We can get back to that some other time. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, it says, uh, In Psalm one hundred and twenty-seven, children are a reward from Him. For like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. There is something beautiful when you realise that this is not about you. That I don't want to step on too many toes, but let's give it a go. I fly out tomorrow quite early. If you are all about destiny then it's a sign of immaturity. Destiny says, but what about me? It isn't fair. Ange can speak. I mean, maturity is more concerned about legacy, about what comes through you, about who goes beyond you. It celebrates in the victories that another person has because of your sacrifice, I, there's, a, there's a power to be found in that because all of a sudden someone else's victories actually make you go that is what this is about contending in the gate I was going actually I should have done it I, I have this picture of uh, myself and Jolie we're playing against this team Air Falcons if you don't know I actually coach and play rugby league in Turkey uh, it's a painful reality I've broken my ribs four times 17 broken bones I think dislocated my shoulder, broken my scapula, messed up. But one of my, one, there's this photo, and it's Joel and I in the midst of this tackle. It's on our, if you ever want to find it, you can go to Izmir Rugby. It's league, not union, but, um, which, by the way, I love. We can have a talk about it if you follow union another time. Um, Jesus had 12 disciples, not 14, but any union people. Just in case you're wondering... And there's this picture, and it's Joel and I in the one tackle. And there's this, honestly, there's this look of, I want to kill this dude on both our faces. Like, I mean, we're standing over him, and I'm like, that moment, contending together. And it might sound funny. For me, it's like this moment, because that's what I want for my biological children in the kingdom as well, where you're like, the violent take the kingdom by force. There's a, there's a desire that says, I want to get into Christ. I want to get away, and I, I won't preach it tonight. I was so close to preaching the text uh, from Matthew 7. Uh, Matthew 7? Matthew 7, I think it is, where Jesus says a violent... Uh, heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And the imagery given that it's John the Baptist uh, doubting earlier in the text and the Pharisees trying to draw the crowds away from Jesus is that in us should be a sense. And Jesus says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear, which by the way, indicates you're not going to get it the first time. Like there's a sense with it, no, no, lean in. There should be something in us that says Jesus is worth striving through the crowd, like the woman with the issue of blood, to take hold of His hem, even if everyone hates me for it. Jesus is so worthy that it's worth cutting a hole in the roof of a house to lower your friend, to get Him to Jesus so He's healed. There's a sense with which, and it's weird to hear Jesus use that language, isn't it, of violence that says nothing Nothing is more worthwhile than what God has for people. Nothing at all. Contend for the faith, Jude 1.3 says, that was once for all entrusted to the saints. See, Homer's about also our place of grace. Verse 10 continues, Paul is speaking, and he says, By the grace God has given me... I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. Now, pause there for a second. You know, the grace on my life and the grace on your life in terms of spiritual gifts might be different. And so, it actually might mean that the way I build a home in one sense is different, but it's all for the same outcome. Jesus' kingdom come, His will be done by the grace of God. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment, and I actually want you to name it. What gifts do I have? And how am I using it to build his place? See, sometimes in Christian circles, we have like this false humility. I think it's a bit Aussie, like depending on your background, your ethnic background in Australia. It's quite diverse, of course. But in my background, the goal is to pretend you're not good at anything in the world. Like, I mean, that's, I don't know, it's white, blue collar, country, convict background stuff where people are like, how are you? Yeah, fine. Like, don't ever get too excited unless your football team wins. Um, and then for some reason, the rules are all broken. Have you noticed that? People are like, no, I encourage people. Can I encourage you with worship, for instance? I know you're going to have to break out of your cultural norms. Get physical. Raise those hands. Bend those knees. And people are like, no, 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 it's just not my culture. I guarantee I'd take you to the football. And for some reason, your culture changes at the football. Your personality all of a sudden changes and you, you hear previously polite individuals sit there and scream at the referee as if the referee is the most corrupt individual on the face of the planet and the dude who just scored that try deserves to go straight to hell. Maybe it's just me, is it? I, maybe I just change. But my point is, in there somewhere, is that there is a grace on you when we're called to build with it. But it's not a grace building our own thing, because it goes on and says, But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And I I do want us to hear, if we ever depart from preaching Jesus Christ as Lord, as dying and rising again for our sins, then we have lost the plot. No other message, social, political, philosophical, has any value in comparison to the elevation, the recognition of Jesus as Lord. When you get that in its place, everything else does start to make sense. I actually think if you do understand Jesus is Lord and that He died and He, he rose again, and that He's made a spectacle of death itself, I do actually think you can work in your workplace with far more effectiveness. I do think that you can walk into your university and people ridicule you and it falls off you because who cares what the world thinks when you know what the Lord thinks. You know, I know Jesus is not affected by the world's opinion of Him because He has the Father's favour. Though everyone else wants to kill him and is like, "Not my will, but yours," and I'm not saying clearly, as we most of us would know, Gethsemane was a stressful moment, but it always comes back to the same reality: His Lord. But what is the grace on you? What is the grace on this house? Because we are called more than me is called. I I like speaking. If you haven't noticed, I, I struggle with it in any context. Uh, if you don't know, my father actually stuttered so badly that when my auntie met him, my dad's an Aussie, my auntie, who's a Kiwi, thought he was Russian. That's how bad his speech impediment was. I mean, it was so... That, and then this guy comes up to him about three months later. He has such a difficult speech impediment at the time and prophesies over him that he's going to be a preacher and a teacher. In the natural, the dumbest thing anyone could say Haven't you built them up so they can be disappointed? No, 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 I've sown the Word of God in their life. My father did, in actual fact, become exactly that, a preacher and a teacher. He was actually quite nervous when I was about to be born, however, because this was a generational matter. Every single firstborn male in my family for five generations has stuttered. My father uh, actually prayed and fasted for nearly six weeks straight. My father, to this day, nearly every year fasts for full four weeks, no food, zip, nutter, nothing. To this day, he sometimes jokes that he fasted too hard because <laughs> not only do I not stutter, I speak far too much. And then I met a, actually a, a woman who they were like, we never thought we'd you would ever meet someone who can speak like you. Then they met Ange. Um, maybe her parents were fasting as well. Like, But seriously, I... I'm so grateful, by the way, for generations of faith. My parents were the first that came to Christ. And maybe you're the first to come to Christ in your family. Guess what? Don't let you be the last. Birth generations. This is a grace matter. This is about building something bigger than you. It's not about becoming the guy or the girl at the front. I, I do love to preach. I love to bring the Word. But I'll do it with just as much passion over a coffee. When we went to Turkey, I was warned, and it was helpful, that people who have been senior pastors generally suck at being in unreached environments where you don't get a pulpit and a stage. <clears throat> I was warned. I mean, because you have position and you have authority and you have a stack of crates to put your, uh, your stuff on. I love these crates, by the way. I was so glad you brought them back out, Ryan. I think the last time I was here, like you had like a pretty pulpit. Exactly. <laughs> These just feel anointed. Like, I don't really believe... Well, why not? But it was a wake-up call and a reminder that if you're passionate, you'll be passionate about opening the Word with anybody if you call by god it doesn 't matter whether you pray for a thousand or you pray for one in your workplace. It will give you the depth of satisfaction that know, knows that you can be part of changing generations through the life of an individual. Every one matters because not only do they matter but they can change generations to come. When my father came to Christ, little did anyone know that he would have sons and daughters who would have sons and daughters that would nearly all follow Christ with all their life. A guy that was probably very deeply rejected found his acceptance in Christ. But he recognized as well that it wasn't about him, it was about something greater. Hope is about our hopes and dreams. Home is about our hopes and dreams. I remember drawing my dream home. My family moved a lot when I was younger. Said I had nine high schools twel- in twelve years. Nine schools in twelve years. I took a long time to graduate high school. Twelve years. No I'm joking. Uh, no, I had four high schools though in five years. How messed up's that? Actually, I loved it. It's because I could invent myself every like year or so. Like, I mean, let's be honest. When you're 13, you're like, yeah. Now, how do I shake this? I'm going to have to move because everyone remembers the other me. And then I came to Christ. And I was a pain in the butt, by the way, when I was 13. I, people get surprised. I, I've actually thrown more than one table in a class. I know. Sorry, my daughter didn't know that. I was a bad kid. I was a bad kid for a while. I was a pastor's kid. I had issues. Thankfully, God had his eye on me. And I had parents who prayed for me. And they didn't give up on me, even when I think I had lost the plot for a short while. I came to Christ, and He started to the journey that is not done yet of conforming me to His image. But I remember drawing my, inverted commas, dream home. I drew it out. It had a big shed out the background with two levels and had a double garage down the back for uh, these ski boats that I would use. And then it became very clear to me that I actually knew who already owned this house because they were the elders in the church I went to. (sighs) I was dreaming of someone else's place. It's not like it was a bad house. It was amazing. To be quite honest, I was like 12 or 13 and probably isn't as big as I remember it even now. they were called the drivers, and they had an amazing house, but sometimes we dream of a home that's not actually the home God's called us to. Sometimes it's informed by the world that says, hey, you want this? And we're like, no, 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 I don't want that. And they're like, no, you want this. There's more money in this for you. There's more prestige in this. There's less persecution in this, that whatever it may be, and we start to to hunger after a home that we were not created for rather than hunger after a home as, as Abraham did when he left his family and he left his security and he had the city of God on his heart yet he'd never seen it. He'd never touched it and then he would, he would pitch his tent on that land even though he would himself never own it because he believed in a home that God was creating. See that's what we're about creating a moment that tastes like heaven a community of every nation tribe and tongue every nation tribe and tongue one of the greatest affronts and can I encourage us we should we should fight it with every fiber of our soul as when the world wants us to buy into its vision of home when we should look around and see the diversity and see the difference and see the gifts see the see the desires on people's hearts and go guess what god has called you for this there's eternity in your heart now build eternity in this moment god is not building us for where we are but building us for where he is taking us 1 Corinthians three twelve continues and says, If any man builds on this foundation, being Jesus, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's word. Recently, I've noticed, maybe, I feel like one of those, like, missionaries that come back from overseas, and all of a sudden, they're grumpy, and, it's not true I was grumpy before. <laughs> I've noticed this phrase like recently, this is my forever home. Like this is my first home, not my forever home. And I'm like that's a weird phrase. And then it actually have you ever had moments where it's something starts to bother you but you can't put your finger on it? You're like why do I not like this phrase? And if you know me, I can think around one idea for weeks on end. Um, Thankfully, I have a very patient wife who I bring up the same things again and again. And she'd be like, you already said this. And I'll be like, but I don't understand it. And it started to bug me because I realized it was another vision of creating forever here according to the desires of men, of women, of material capacity. And there's nothing wrong with buying a home. I own a home in Turkey. I don't live in it. It helps us live there. But the forever home that the world wants to sell you is selling you short. Relative to eternity, buying a home here and thinking that's your dream is like grabbing Monopoly money and thinking you can pay for a house down in Kingston. They will laugh at you, and they should. I mean, sometimes we have forgotten that the world we live in relative to the world that is coming. And yes, it's been birthed now. Yes, it's seen now in Christ. Yes, it's, it's coming. We have these moments and we see it in healing. We see it in restoration. We see it in salvation. And then we sort of, you get confused. You know, when you're like, this is heaven, like this sense of kingdom. And then you're like, oh, it's gone again. And you feel the frustration. You should feel it. You should feel it because one time you pray for a person, they get healed. And you're like, his kingdom come. And you pray another time and they die. And you're like, and he's like, don't worry. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is coming. Don't you worry. The kingdom is guaranteed. It's, it's going to come. He has, a, he has a home for us. And it's about birthing eternity now. See, we build it in expectation, anticipation, and hope that what we build will last for eternity. And at some time, this building will be gone, and it doesn't matter. The building we're about to build, uh, to buy, will also be gone. And in light of eternity, it also doesn't matter. But some people are going to get saved, and others are going to be healed. Some people are going to be freed from addiction. Others are going to discover life in Christ and life in the Spirit and it will last into eternity and the tool that you might have been part of will be the seed for something eternal. This is why this matters. This, by the way, is why I want to take my finance in Turkey as well and go, I believe in what God is doing in Canberra. Not because I believe in buildings, I just they annoy me sometimes. But because I believe in what God wants to do in people. See, Many years ago, our dream started like this. I wrote this in, in 2006. It said, This is a long time ago now. I start to feel old. 2006, some of you are like, I was two. It's surely not possible. Some of you are like, No, I was like 12. You're the old people, don't worry. Imagine a Christian community that reaches beyond itself, reaching out in contextually and spiritually dynamic ways. Imagine a community of ministers that have laid down their own desires to reach a hurting world because of their undying love for Christ. Imagine a congregation that desires nothing more than to continuously expand God's kingdom through church planting and resourcing the church around the world. This is our dream. As an 18-year-old, I would travel to Canberra and joke about planting a church. As a matter of fact, I would stir up the guys at uh, Arendelle Christian Centre back in the day because I like stirring up the Canberrans. I'd be like, I'm going to plant a church next to you just because I knew that bite. I'm a country kid, can't help myself. I mean, I didn't want to move to Canberra, but I did like to stir city people. I would joke about planting a church. I would even point to a specific location. Often you find God has slipped his desires under your radar. And this is certainly what God has done in my own life. Our desire is not to see simply a church planted. Rather, it's to see a seed planted that will continue to be transplanted across the world in the form of new, dynamic, spiritually powerful churches, Life City Church, as it was called in that moment, is simply the first seed planted in this specific vision. And it too is simply a seed planted out of the hearts of our home church, which was in Kuma at the time, to be the manifestation of the evidence of God's love to this hurting world. The slogan of Life City Church, we don't use it as a slogan anymore, but the heart is still there. The slogan of Life City Church is City Church Global Breach already in our hearts from day one is that this desire come to fruition. We imagine a day when hundreds of churches across the world can link their spiritual heritage to a church called Life City Church, now divergent, that wanted nothing more than to reach a world beyond itself and reach and bless a world without the Savior. A dream can pull us into the future. We believe that this dream is birds from the very heart of God, and we invite you to join us in seeing God's dream fulfilled. Look beyond, I write, and I sort of always laugh at the last line, Josh, Ange, and the Life City team, which was Joel Tariq, and he was six months old. Do you know, we, as does the whole of the church, often have a long way to go We go through ups where we're like, we've made it. And downs where we think, just a second, we've lost it all. Yet God is faithful through it all. And He is always building His body and He's always building His church. We get to be part of building a home that is truly a forever home. But it starts, do you know what? Even every time someone walks through that door and you welcome them into family, It can be the first step in forever home. I still remember meeting Kev for the first time. He was even cooler back then than he is now. Like he had like big hair and way cooler clothes and lip ring and he was way cool. Do you know one of the things I loved about Kev? Kev walks in, he was like, I want to do that, play guitar. Like legit, fully brand new believer. Six weeks later... He's on the stage, like, welcome to Divergent Life City Church, playing guitar. Don't think he was very good. Didn't matter. It might seem really natural, but it's the beginning of forever home when someone discovers the grace of God on their life. I, I love the fact that we've been able to struggle at times with people through the moments where, like, I've lost it all. You know, I've not to and kev too much in this moment but i still remember the night in this venue where kev led worship amazingly and i walked down to those toilets and i found kev washing uh scrubbing the dunnies the toilets and i was like this dude's a leader not because of what he did on the stage whatever like but because even though yes god had graced him for here his heart was there you know we've we've done the journey i Could probably start to get rolling, and I know, I know Ryan and myself have gone through some ups and some downs. But can I tell you, we are so proud. We are so proud of you, Ryan, and we are—I mean, real serious—we are so proud because together we're building a forever, a forever home, and it's not ours. The deed belongs to the Lord, but it should feel like mine. You know, my kids run around my house, and they're like, this is my home. And you're like, well, your name's not on the deed quite yet. It's, you should feel at home. And so maybe you're new with us tonight. Maybe you've just touched and base with Divergent. I do feel like we're back on the journey up, even post COVID and the struggles and the the things about community and society that's going on. Can I encourage you? I want you to hear this tonight. Welcome home. But don't just come, be part of building a forever home. Take the grace on your life, take the passion that God has put there, and put it into action. Let's pray. Lord of God, I just thank you that you're good. And in this moment, we anchor in that. We know that sometimes life is not good. Life is distressing, life is confusing. Even our own faith has moments of doubt and confusion, but you are good. And so, we anchor in that. You are good and you, you love us. Even at the point of confusion, you love us, and so... In this, Lord, we trust you to lay aside the monopoly money of our lives and realize we can be part of building forever home. A home, a family, a journey, a life that builds lives that extend into eternity itself. Lord, we are so grateful, though, that we don't do this by ourselves, but we get to do it together in your precious, precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.